Welcome back to another episode of All Things Red. On today's episode, I have um, a character, to say the least, all-around great guy, um, funny person. Uh, we played to get lacrosse together at Hobart, um, but I don't want to do the intro for him. I'll let him do that. Kevin Murphy, how we doing, baby? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Big fan. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, I told Darden that I was having you on, and he just laughed. He's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to get more statesmen on here. That's for sure. Uh, of course. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you and I had the, the pleasure of becoming friends and getting to know each other because we both played lacrosse together at Hobart. Um, mm-hmm. But for people that may listen but have no clue who you are and the name doesn't even ring a bell, who who is Kevin Murphy? Um, hi, my name's Kevin Murphy. Uh, <laughs> I was born uh, or raised outside of Boston. Went to school up at uh, Hobart, played college lacrosse up there with my friend John Antonio. Um, currently live in Brooklyn, New York. I work in a sales enablement team as a pursuit manager for a customer experience management company. So uh, digital ads. And uh, that's that's... That's pretty much that's it. My, uh, yeah, that's my 15-second elevator pitch or whatever it's called. I, I'm, I'm sold. If you're, <laughs> if you're selling something, I'm buying it. So let me know. Send the contract over. Um, no, but so, yeah, we played the cross together at uh, Hobart. You, um, you originally being from Massachusetts, and you went to boarding school or was it prep school? Boarding school. Yep. Boarding school was, you know, getting right into it. Was Did that help you with um, – your freshman year experience playing college lacrosse because you played with a lot of kids that you played with a lot of kids that uh played d1 or played at a high level so when Mm -hmm. you came in obviously the jump from high school to college regardless of what level it's at is a big jump um did it did you feel as though that it made it a little bit easier for you or no um i i mean going to brewster was was a huge benefit to, to where i'm at today um just all around. Uh, but going from boarding school into college was, was, I, I would say it's an easier transition for me that I, I think than uh, like kids that don't board in high school, just from like living away, like creating your own schedule, making sure like that you're keeping on top of your own studies and your own like practice and not mm-hmm. really living on your own, but, but being your own motivation and just being, uh, I, I don't want to say living on your own because you are at boarding school and you do have a huge support system, but, mm-hmm. but being away and it, I think it gave me the chance earlier on in like my school career to just find my own niche and find what interests me more um, rather than being at home with my parents, which I, I, I wouldn't say would have been a bad choice but uh it, it was just a better experience i think for for transitioning from my senior year in high school to to freshman year in college it made it uh, a little bit smoother mm-hmm. and what led you to going to hobart because i'm sure you probably got recruited by a bunch of other schools like what was like what was it that got you to hobart um well I, i'll take it back to brewster so I, I went to brewster for all four years brewster academy is a boarding school up in uh wolfboro new hampshire right on lake Winnipesaukee. um and I, I went there because my older brother went there i realized how great of a school it was and how great of a lacrosse coach there was and he he really um i think that's what prepared me for college lacrosse is the way that he coached 
Um, and that's what I would suggest to anyone who's looking to play like college sports is, is look for those coaches that, that understand the, the college game in the next level and that can instill that type of knowledge in you early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's what helped that jump from uh, high school to college. But what led me to Hobart, um, it was definitely a roundabout way. Uh, I mean, I'm sure all of the people that you've had on from Hobart have all said that they never heard of Hobart until they were applying to it or someone told them that they should apply to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I, I wasn't, it definitely wasn't on my radar. Um, When I was a sophomore, I heard of a a goalie on our team. He committed there and that's, that's when I first heard of it. Um, And for me, uh, I played on every single club lacrosse team I could find. I would just try and find, like if I had a free weekend, I would just try and find a team I can get it, uh, go out and play like a tournament it with. And um, that definitely helped me get some looks early on and um, like help the recruiting process is just always being at these tournaments, always playing. And that definitely helped my own skill set as well. But um, there are a few colleges that I was seriously looking at. The first was Drexel. Um, and I think what like steered me away from that was being in a city. Um, I come from a boarding school of 350 students and I, I don't think the jump would have made sense from, from 350 students to however many they have there, but just being in a city itself, I don't think I was ready for that. And especially then, Philly. Yeah. Especially Philly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've never been to Philly at that point. And, and now after knowing Philly with a few friends that live out there and being there a few times, I, it definitely would have been good for me. But um, <laughs> I think even more so, the next college I was looking at was, was Michigan. Um, I, uh, I went out there, I think, when I was 16 years old. On Halloween night, they showed me around. It was awesome. There were a few other recruits with me. One of my friends actually from Brewster came with me. Um, and he was also, he's a great lacrosse player, Austin Shanks, uh, Canadian NLL star. Um, NLL star shout out. Yeah. I I think he's a a firefighter as well. Um, haven't talked to him in a while, but anyways, (laughs) him, him and him and I both went out there, uh, Halloween weekend out to university of Michigan. They showed us around. It was a beautiful campus, like $80 million dollar. Uh, like facilities, just insane money being thrown around to the the athletes out there. Like a whole entire building was dedicated to tutors and like the student athletes. And I was like, wow, this is insane. Like how much money can be spent on, on like student athletes in college. And then they got us first row at the Purdue Michigan game uh, football. And I just remember being in awe of how big that stadium is. Oh, um, it's massive. The big house. Yeah, the, they literally called the big house. It was gigantic. And they flew, they flew the football in on a jet pack, which was insane. So like, I was just absolutely in awe. And then this was like during the time I visited, it was a transition from Michigan's team uh, transition from club to um, division one. And there were a mm-hmm. lot of, uh 
kids still on the team who were there on the club team that all of a sudden went to division one and staying at a club lacrosse that a club lacrosse house to a, a division one lacrosse house. Um, it, it definitely showed me what the nightlife would be like at a, at a huge, uh, school like that. And, um, I mean, I was 16 years old going out on Halloween. <laughs> they, they took me to a thrift store, slapped a fake mustache on me and they called it a day. Um, I, 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 I don't think I would have done well in that sort of environment, the big school, like a, a small fish in a big pond. That's what, definitely what I, I felt like visiting there. Um, uh-huh. Maybe that was just the way I was taught or just brought up uh, through schools. And then um, I started like I, I started getting serious with more with one of my club lacrosse teams, Clams, uh, and the coach who founded Clams, uh, Justin. He he introduced me to Hobart. He uh, started the conversation with T.W. Johnson, who was the coach at the time, mm-hmm. and. Um, me and my mom went up there on a beautiful fall day. The leaves were just changing over. Um, they didn't want to bring me up during the miserable weather, which is definitely a good design uh, for recruits. Absolutely. Did TW but hit you with the Southern Charm? He, he got me with the Southern Charm. Um, <laughs> me and my mom, we loved him uh, as a coach. And he, he had like the entire day I was there or he, he gave me a one-on-one tour, which was great. Like I, I never saw that from a coach. Um, it was typically like I would be shown around with like multiple recruits at the same time. And I would just try and like get my time with the coach and, and really capitalize on that. But what it felt like from him was he, he took the time and the interest uh, out of his, like his day to, to focus on me and show me around Hobart. So that, that was like my first welcoming to Hobart and it definitely made me feel at home, um, right away. And, uh, then I stayed overnight with Sam Washburn, who was, uh, I believe, <laughs> I, I believe your roommate at the time. Yes. Um, and you weren't there that weekend. I did, I did meet you, uh, that night I was staying over and I think you were heading out to Buffalo or something. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget your face. You're a, a giant with, with, uh, with red hair. <laughs> <laughs> you're making me sound like a fucking freak. <laughs> no, you're not a freak, but it, you're, just a, you're just a big dude. I, I couldn't, I, you got a face that you can't forget. Um, it's, uh, th- there's pros and cons to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, I, I, I just got to know the team in like a more intimate setting. It was like a, a similar to like what a pregame would be. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just got to see how close some of the classes were and, uh, and just like, I could feel like the team environment would be the right setting for me. Um, and then I did a second visit a few months later, uh, I think during the season and then committed the Thanksgiving uh, of my junior year of high school. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that about Michigan because we went – so after I got the boot from Mercyhurst, the kid that I was – one of the kids I was living with, Colin, his – two of his best friends were in a fraternity at Ohio State. and We would go mm-hmm. – we went up there a couple times. We went up there for, um, they were, I believe, a Penn State game. or And we didn't go to the games. We obviously mm-hmm. partied our ass off. But yeah. we went up for Penn State, one of the Penn State games. We went up for – at the fraternity. They did, like, a white trash bash wedding. And then the last time we went up there was 
it was our senior year because when I transferred, I, all my credits didn't come with me. So I had to do an additional year. So I graduated the same mm-hmm. year you graduated. So it was our senior year when they played Michigan and Michigan was ranked third in the country. Mm-hmm. And there was that suspect ass first down by JT Barrett. We were at, we went, we went up there for that. And I remember yeah. coming back being like, even as a student, I would never be able to go to a school like this. Cause I would fail out. Cause it's just, yeah, there's just too much to, going on outside yeah, like, the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm used to a 20 to 25 person, like intimate setting where you get to know your professors, you get to know everyone that's in the class and at school like that, you're just a number. And then on top of it, being that young, yeah, you're playing a sport and you have responsibilities, but you're still a kid and you're like, I'm trying to get fucked up. So you're, yeah. it's just too much. I always said it was like Disneyland for college students in a way, mm-hmm. being at a school like that. Um, if, to what, your point uh, about, to, to your point about uh, like the 25 to 30 person class at Hobart and just being able to walk into your professor's class, that, that was definitely a huge aspect of it for me. Um, mm-hmm. At Brewster, like, you you would live in a dorm year round and your dorm parents would be your teachers. So I've always felt like comfortable going up to my teachers and, and asking them for, for anything school-wise. And, and that was like a huge transition. Uh, like that's what made the transition so easy. I was able to just walk into any, any teacher's classroom and they would at least recognize my face at first. And then we would uh, be on a first name basis from there. Um, and, and just having that, level of comfortability just to to walk into someone's office and ask for help is was huge in like my development as a student at Brewster of course and yeah. you 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 mentioned it last time but you didn't bring it up this time you actually um you stayed in my bed didn't you when I was gone yeah yeah I did. <laughs> um funny story about wash was uh, when TW put us in contact and was like hey you're gonna be living with Sam Washburn he, I was texting him, just getting to know him and stuff like that. And I'm thinking like, okay, it's a college dorm, like bring posters, like just trying to coordinate like what we're bringing. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I'll bring the Xbox, bring the TV, I'll bring a couple posters, shit like that. And he's like, all right, cool. Like, like I said, you don't really know each other. You're just talking for the first time over text and you have no idea yeah. who the hell you're talking to. And I, <laughs> I remember, I, I know you know this because it was hanging in the room. Yeah. I, it was a picture of LeBron and it was like yep. the back of him where it said it had his, when he was in Miami, it said James number six on the side and he was pointing up to the sky. I, iconic like picture. Walking, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As he's walking mm-hmm. up the court. And I texted Sam and I'm like, I'm like, I got this for the room. This is pretty dope. And he just read it, no response. And I just remember, <laughs> you know, he still to this day gives me shit for that. When LeBron. His eyes must have rolled to the back of his head when he sent him that. <laughs> yeah. And yo, he's probably like, fuck this kid. Yeah. And it's funny because a couple weeks ago, I no, it probably wasn't even a couple weeks ago. But when, Le- when the Suns were playing the Lakers and LeBron was flopping on the ground. He sent me it on Instagram. He's like, yo, isn't this your boy? And I'm just like, ah, oh, yeah. Tough. <laughs> Come get your dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he has those, like, subtle – like, he doesn't – he has no face. Subtle jabs. Right. Yeah. yeah he, it's like, he knows like how to robot. get you. Yeah, yeah, it's like he's a robot, and he just says stuff and then walks away. And I'm like, I, I'm like, is that, I don't know if you're, I'm being chirped. If I, like, I don't know. Like, I don't. He walks away from a burning building. Yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> That's funny though. Who, I always thought like, before we get into more of that lacrosse aspect, I wanted yeah. to bring this up just to get your thoughts on it. Obviously I'm not going to name names. We keep people nameless here. But one thing that I noticed when I transferred in this, the lacrosse aspect of it, the team aspect had nothing to do with me transferring. I ultimately just, the school was not for me. 
and mm -hmm. Hobart's a great school overall. So I don't, if someone was like, Hey, would you recommend I go to Hobart? I, I would say yes, just because I, mm -hmm. I didn't think it was that bad for me to be like, no, but um, yeah. even though I closetly hated it and then I ultimately transferred um, one of the things I noticed, which not pointing fingers at anyone directly, especially not the coaches. But mm -hmm. when I got to Mercyhurst, it w it was there was no like uh, I would say egos in a way. It was just like, mm -hmm. look at we're it's one collective unit. We're trying to win. We're gonna roast the shit out of each other. Practices are gonna be tough. We might throw hands. You know, it happens like in the heat of the moment mm -hmm. of being competitors and practice and stuff. But even when we would be doing sprints and a couple kids finished, the kids that finished would go back and make sure that they ran with the last kid. And it was like no man left behind type of thing. And then after I experienced that at Mercyhurst, I was like, yo, it was not like that at all at Hobart. Like I thought that part of the reason that we struggled to win games and let alone even get out of our conference, the NEC at times mm -hmm. was because there was so much clicky high school cafeteria type bullshit within the team itself. And the team wasn't really that close and there was always like closet like chirps that were not like uh we're just joking like more so of like oh that dude's playing he's not that good rather than it was more there was so much like individual than the collective and i felt that with your class um you guys were really the first class that didn't have that and then obviously after i left you guys started to have a lot of success when nec you won an nec title and stuff like that and even um i'm not gonna say that's a coincidence or anything but go on no 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 i, I almost i actually almost slipped i'm up. only kidding no i know and I, actually, I almost slipped up and said someone's name but i was talking yeah. to a specific individual and you know who i'm talking about and they mm. were saying that it was really like it did kind of start with you guys and a couple of the upperclassmen and like it's changed the culture so like what do you like what are your thoughts on that um well no i i definitely could see that like the classes before mine, the class of 2017, which was my class, um, like all the like the three to four years ahead of us, they all of the seniors, they always ended up with like four out of the 15 kids that they started with freshman year. Mm -hmm. And um, that's that's something I, I started to realize over my time at, at Hobart. And uh but with our class, we, we kind of just stuck together and we, yeah. we were all in it together. Like we, but I, I mean, I wouldn't give like all of the, the credit to our class. I, our, our senior class, when we were freshmen, uh, Cam Stone was our captain, Peter Bolte. Yeah. Uh, great guys. Pete, Pete Zanino, like all of those guys, uh, they, they really made us feel welcome. Um, and yeah. I don't know if it was a conversation that they had with coach Raymond, who was new, uh, our freshman year. He was, that was his first year coaching Hobart, but, yeah. but each weekend they opened their house to us. Like they, they said, you can come over, you can bring friends, just like, don't be stupid. Like just, this is like your house too. Like they just welcomed us in and like, there, there were definitely some jabs and like some chirps, but like, it was all from like a friendly place with them. And mm -hmm. that, that made us, that made us feel comfortable. And it, it, it definitely trickled down to our class. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we, we uh, carried the torch uh, all the way through our senior year. Um, like when I was a senior, I made sure that each freshman knew that they were welcome over uh, to, to our house, to our, our, that we had two houses our senior year right next door to each other. So they were always welcome to come over no matter what time it is, what day it is. And, and they, they definitely uh, abused those rights at some points. Like I would be 
showing up at, or hearing them at like three in the morning sometimes. But, uh, but it, it definitely like having that welcoming environment to those freshmen really makes a huge difference. Um, just because like the way I've seen it is a lot of these kids are coming from completely different situations. Um, totally. Like from high school to college and they're, they're really just looking for a, a place to call home. And, and if, if you don't show them like at, at least like the nice side of Hobart lacrosse and you don't like turn your cold shoulder, uh, then they'll, they'll figure it out on their own if this is the place that they want to be. And more often than not, I've seen is they, they definitely wanted to stay because it's, it's the friendships that, that definitely made my time at, at Hobart. It was, it was, it was a great time. No, of course. And yeah, yeah. no, McHen- McHenry, uh, yep, well, McHenry. No, before I even, before I even mentioned McHenry or, uh, him, but no, Cam, Bolties, and, you know, they were all, I thought they were all good captains. And last time I saw, uh, ZR Munley, do you remember Munley? Mm-hmm. I think he was oh, yeah. by that. Okay, no, Mon- yeah, Munley. Munley. Yeah, yeah. He was one okay. of the seniors. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was the mm-hmm. last time I saw ZR, Munley, uh, McHenry, I'm trying to think Zanino. I said Zanino already. Um, mm-hmm. was in Philly when I went to visit Frank, and they were yeah. all. I hadn't seen those dudes in years, and as soon as I saw them, we went over to ZRs, and they were just like, "Dude, what's good?" Like as if like never missed a beat. But yeah. no, it was just something. And again, I'm not I'm not shitting on Hobart Lacrosse because it's a great program and it's a great school too. It's just like it, I didn't notice it until I got to another school where I'm like, "Yo, like everyone is on the same page here." everyone yeah. there's no really disconnect anywhere so that was just something i noticed and like that was like i said at me transferring had nothing to do with the lacrosse team but i knew after my freshman year i'm like i'm either this year or next year i'm out of here but i just yeah. we'll just ride it out but um well you know i it also could have been the fact that it was also coach raymond's first year and every practice ended in like a wind sprint that we would all be like hunched over puking after a practice and he, it felt like he was a little bit on a war path just to see like who would, who would stay on the team. And that, I think that like, that kind of helped our, our class. Like we were all young, we had fresh legs and we were all in it together and we were kind of like ready to run with them. So I don't know. It, it, it was a, it was a tough year that uh, our freshman year. Um, yeah, I remember he when he came in, him and Poyon, first of all, that run test we had to do was ridiculous. <laughs> that run test was insane. Yeah. No, uh, I, I can't believe that. Yeah. Yeah, but he did. No, he's, he made that president the first, like, the first, as soon mm-hmm. as he came in. Um, I, I was telling Frank last time I saw him, I thought uh, Raymond was the best coach I ever had. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't, like, you, we that, all come from different, what are you saying? Does that still hold up after that one practice when you got the whistle? <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. It holds up. I don't like shit. Like, dude, that yeah. honestly, when he, I, we'll talk about. Well, yeah, let's talk about yeah. that. So, I missed. I missed. I missed a lift. I missed a team lift. Mm-hmm. And then, I his 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 class. motto was, uh, if if you're on time or what was it? If you. Oh yeah, Muff beauty, absolute beauty. But Muff was always saying that if you're on time, you're late, and if no, if you're you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, yeah. you're late, and if you're late, you're fucking forgotten. That's yeah. what Muff would always preach. And mm-hmm. no, I so I already had like one strike against me or whatever, and then it was me and Griffin. I didn't know Griffin fucked up mm-hmm. too, but yeah. I missed completely missed lift. I fell asleep. I just didn't mm-hmm. wake up for lift. 
And I remember uh, Poyan calling me and Poyan's like, yeah, you're going to, uh, you're going to tell coach. And if you don't tell him before practice, like you're not going to like the consequences. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I called coach Raymond and he goes, all right, cool. He's like, you're going to coach practice today. And I didn't know oh, what that meant. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. I was just like, like I'm like, ah, uh, okay. Like I don't, I don't know what that meant, but yeah. um, but yeah. So then I don't know how, what happened, but long story short, he pretty much, you guys were wearing full sweats, and it was, um, it was, it was like a 75, 80 degree day. Yeah. And early you fall, guys, yeah, yeah you, you guys didn't even practice. I had to be the one making you guys run. I had to blow the whistle. And then if guys weren't touching the line or guys were dogging it, he wanted me to scream at them. Yeah. No, I, I just, I, oh my God. I just remember the first, because that wasn't a practice. That was a, that was a conditioning. That was like basically the run so test. Not, yeah. And, and I remember the first time he's like, John, blow the whistle. You blow it. And like, it was kind of like a, a shameful blow. Like, I'm sorry, boys. And you blew it, it kind of like silently. A little, like a little yeah. like, <laughs> and, and then he's like, blow the fucking whistle. And you just belt into it. Oh my God. I'll never forget that. <laughs> Yo, I have no one, no one said a word to me. No one said a word to me. And I, yeah. like, great. <laughs> Like, Griff was, like, damn near about to break out in tears and was like, oh, fuck, boys. Like, I'm sorry. And, like, obviously, I was sorry. I was just like, fuck, yeah. dude, I fucked up. Like, whatever, whatever. And I, I well, I, I, obviously, that, that thing, I mean, it was definitely shame-inducing. But it, it definitely brought us closer together. And it he, he set the tone early. And it was just unfortunate you had to be on that side of it. <laughs> Oh, absolutely! So and I never, yeah. I never missed a fucking lift ever again. But yeah. now that we're now that we're talking about him, we could talk about how a couple of times when I would throw skip passes, it, and oh they would hit, God, he yeah. would not say a word. But then the one practice, I missed like three or four in a row. And he's like, "You throw another one, you're out of fucking practice. Don't even think about it. Actually, get the fuck yeah. out of the drill." <laughs> no, when when they hit, like it would, they would hit, like they they would tee someone up for a beautiful shot. But when they don't, it it screws up the offense and it, it looks dumb. So like, I, I completely get it, but like you, you, you no. were on sometimes and you were off sometimes with those skip passes. No. And yeah, in my, yeah. my opinion, my opinion of them does not change at all whatsoever. Yeah. I, and the reason I say that is because, and obviously you knowing me at Hobart, you'll be, you're probably thinking like, all right, you sound like a hypocrite, but me now, mm-hmm. like looking back on that, it, he, mm-hmm. he came from, he came from Hopkins. He came from Princeton mm-hmm. and then Poyan played pro and he was an all American at UMBC. And then Hirsch played for him at Princeton. Like they weren't mm-hmm. coming here to lose. Like they were like, yeah. yo, we're no, 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 we don't, we don't lose. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to set a standard. And if you don't adhere to that standard, tough shit, you're going to face the consequences, which I think that, you need a coach like that that is okay with not being liked by the players. And everyone, I mean, obviously everyone loves Raymond, but you get what I'm saying yeah. when I'm saying a lot of coaches, at least I felt this way, wanted to be friends with the players too or wanted to be liked. But at the same time, it's like that's not how you build a culture for a team. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, um, it, like those four years, it, it never felt like he was – he wasn't trying to be your friend. He was – one doing a job like he was there to coach there to win yeah um but more recently like uh one of one of my classmates Sean Donnelly just got married and and coach Raymond came down and that was that was the first time I saw him in that type of setting where he is a friend and I <laughs> he still makes us call him coach but uh he yelled at Noel <laughs> for that but but still it was nice to see him outside of it <laughs> no he was like Hey Greg, and, and hey, Raymond snapped at him. <laughs> um, 
but but it was cool to see him outside of that setting because like all four years it was I mean, he there there were times where he would like shoot the shit and like joke with us, but he was at the end of the day our coach and and sort of like a, a drill sergeant. Like he he would he would demand a lot out of you. So it it was cool to see that side of it more recently. Hundred percent. And I'm not yeah. comparing Hobart lacrosse to Alabama football, but like no. there was a game where <laughs> God, no, me neither. There, <laughs> no, but there was a game where <laughs> there was a game. I don't think there's any college lacrosse team that could be compared to Bama, but there no. was a game where Bama was playing Troy or Rice or one of the teams. They were up forty. And some dude went offside. The Nick Saban like broke the headset, freaking the fuck out. And like after mm-hmm. the game, they were asking him about it, and he was just like, "Whether whether we're up forty or we're tied, he's like, you're building bad habits if you allow that shit." Yeah. And so like that and, consistency and, and, is huge. Yeah, and I feel mm-hmm. like looking back, obviously being more mature and looking back on it, those were the type of things he was trying to do with the program, where it's just like, mm-hmm. I don't care if you were. An all-American lad. I I wasn't an all-American, so I'm not saying that about me. But he he was more so yeah. like I don't care if you were an all-American last year. I don't care if you were a starter this year. This upcoming year is different, and you could not be a starter this year. Like you got to prove it again. Yeah, every, every practice you had to come out and prove it. That's that's for sure. Yeah. yeah at at no, least we, in at least in my position as a, a defensive midfielder for three out of the four years. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Um, and again, that's what I think. I think he's a successful coach, and uh, he's, yeah. he's a great coach, in my opinion. I think that's what makes good coaches. But yeah. um, getting more back onto you, when you came mm-hmm. in as a freshman, was there any part of you that kind of felt overwhelmed, or like you were like, ah, dude, I don't know, I'm biting off a little bit more than I can chew here, or like, how was your freshman year experience? Because the jump is such a massive jump, even if um, you're not, re- even if you're ready for it, yeah. it's still a big jump. I, I would say I, I kind of went in ignorantly, um, not not in the sense where I, I just was ignoring like lacrosse and, and like I was thinking like I was hot shit and like thinking I was going to make like the starting line right off the bat. More so along the lines of like I was just going to go out there and play my game and, and show like how much effort I can give and the rest will fall into place. Like it, it wasn't up to me if I was going to play. I just wanted to get out there and, and do and, and play my game so that's mm. that's the way I was going into to my first practice I remember uh we we had just like a, a scrimmage that the the captains threw together before we even got together I think it was before the coaches were allowed to to talk to us um mm-hmm. per like the NCAA rules and I just remember I played attack and and uh because I was an offensive player all throughout like middle school and high school um and I, I was playing really well. I was running, uh, like, up and down the field. And uh, it, it felt good to get out there. But then once we got into a practice setting, it, a lot of it changed for me. Mm-hmm. Just, like, the, the pace of play was completely different. Um, and and just, like, the repetitions were, were completely different. Like, a consistent, like, hour and a half, two-hour practice three days a week in the fall was was nothing I've ever been a part of. So the, I, I was lucky enough to like have conditioning on my side and be like in good enough shape to hit the ground running. But that consistency of just being at your top level of play, every practice was definitely a huge learning curve for me. Um, like you couldn't take a day off or you get screamed at by coach Raymond, which is terrifying, but, um, <laughs> but it, that, I, I think I, I started hitting my stride once I realized I was a D mid. I was meant 
sorry, uh, I don't refer to it as a demit anymore. More of a, a transition nightmare. Um, well, hang on, the... I don't want to cut you off real quick. Yeah. Hot, uh, hot, hot, uh, hot topic, or well, not hot mm-hmm. topic, but a uh, hot take. I think mm-hmm. that uh, D mids and LSM are the most athletic position on the field. Well, you said it, not me. I'll take that. But uh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I agree. Uh, I think LSM is the the most like athletic, interesting position in lacrosse. It's it's mm-hmm. a it's. I mean, if you remember Peter Bolte, he was he was just an oh, animal freak. out there. Yeah, yeah, but but I was like uh, five, eleven. 160 pounds so I was kind of a twig out there compared to a lot of the midfielders that were dodging against me like Taylor Vanderbeek who was just an absolute like he, he was he was just a huge guy um and he steak the way he, at you. yeah he was a beefsteak just running straight at you <laughs> and um and that was terrifying but I have uh, a larger than average head and I use that to my <laughs> advantage which which may hurt me in the in the long term but it it boosted my confidence immediately I remember one practice he dodged on me twice in a row and the first time he he like wound up like ran to the top of the box and just started sprinting dead at me and I just stood him up felt really good he moved it around did it again stood him up again he dropped the ball I picked it up cleared it and coach Raymond gave me a chest bump and that was like my first experience of being uh just like comfortable not comfortable but like feeling like I belong in this mm-hmm. type of fast paced environment. Um, and, and after that, I, I just had to keep bringing in each practice and, and to the point of, of using your body in, in ways that probably aren't good in the long term, it, it makes for a great demit. That's all I'll say. <laughs> no, literally. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I used to, I hated, I hated going against you and Teddy in practice. Because of yeah. that alone, you would headbutt. Not in yeah. an illegal way. Like, it's legal because Conroy used to do that shit all the time, too. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so you obviously had that moment with Beak. And mm. did you need that? Was that, like, did you need that to get you going and being like, okay, yeah, that 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 was a – I can't even speak right now. Fuck that. Mm. My bad. But yeah. – um, was that like the first, like a lot of people, they need to be, they need that. And not that you need the confidence instilled in them. Wow. I really sound stupid, but they need, not that they need the confidence instilled in them, but it just takes one good play or a coach pulling them aside being like, fuck yeah, you did a great job. And then after no, that, I, it unlock and unlocks all that, like I yeah. did the whole time type of thing. Was that the case with you or? I, I, I get what you're asking. It's there. I think the route, my entire college career. Cause there were times where I'd be sitting on the bench and the, there were times where I'd be starting and that was every mm-hmm. single year. Yeah. Um, like I, as like a D mid and then junior year as an offensive player, mm-hmm. I think the best games that I've had were when I did get physical and didn't like shy away from that sort of play. Um, and I, I think that just like, allowed me to get in sort of a, a groove or like a flow state. And that's what allowed me to play so well. Like I, I remember the, like two sides of, of one coin, like one game I played against, uh, shoot, I forget which team it was, but it, it, they, they weren't that competitive that year. They did get like throughout our four years, they were very good. But I, I remember we, we went up there thinking that we were going to win and I wasn't going on the field as a physical player. I was going on as just like a technical D mid in my mindset. Mm. And I had the worst game of my life. I remember I sat the next two games and uh, 
it, it just put me in a bad place. And then one warm up against Syracuse that same year, Coach Raymond, he starts like, I don't know, he, he starts like jabbing me like physically and like kind of getting in, in my business while we're stretching. And he, he starts like, I don't know, just getting physical. And that kind of unleashed, I don't know, something, uh, the, the D-mid within. Uh, and it, that that was definitely one of my best games. Uh, I think it was junior year. But um, I, for me, I think I just needed to be physical out there on the field to uh, to really play my best game. Yeah, for people that yeah. don't know you, off the field, you're one of the com- calmest, most relaxed, easygoing type of people. Was it hard for you to get that switch? To like flip, like okay, now I'm in the lines. It's time to fuck someone's day up. Or did you need like, uh, like how quarterbacks in in the NFL and stuff like that will say like I need to get sacked or hit just one time, and then after that I'm good to go. Yeah, that that was that that that's definitely it. I mean, there were a few times where I got my bell rung, and uh, yeah, like I had to take a few days off after that. Um, but I I needed to get out there. Uh, I mean, my my war- pregame like rituals were always the same. Like I'd get there uh, like an hour supposed to, or before we were supposed to. So like three hours before the game, I would just start like taping my stick, listen to Lil Wayne and, and trying to <laughs> just trying to get in my zone. Um, and, and then like in pregame warmups, I would just try and not hack people, but just like start badgering people and get annoying as a, as a defensive midi. I, I would try and annoy the people I was defending and, and like our coach didn't allow us to be vocal on the field towards like opposition or refs, but like, you know, I, I would whisper a few things in the ear and get people rattled. And, and that back and forth is, is something that, that gets me going. It's like a, a different type of like competitive edge um, is when you, you, we, you can start talking to someone or getting in someone's head. It, that's, that's what helped me like turn it on for games and mm-hmm. games where I was like, not playing well or the ones where I was kind of not mentally checked in. Um, so I, I, I think look now looking back, I, I could have definitely made it uh, made like my pregame ritual, like a little bit more tailored to the best way that I play. But like, while I was there, I, I, I guess I didn't realize what, what made me tick as a, no, as a transition nightmare slash D mid. Of course. Um, yeah. Well, at the same time too, it's like, you're also, learning more about like who you are as a person like you said what makes you tick what doesn't make you tick um yeah. and it's not it's usually not until you look back where you're like okay i i get it now would yeah. and with looking back on college of cross and playing college of cross what would you say were the biggest takeaways for you in terms of like what you what your expectations were going into playing college of cross and then looking back being like oh now that I've played and I've experienced it and I went through the grind of it and I played big schools like Syracuse, Cornell, Towson, all that, I wasn't, ex- I wasn't expecting those type of things and those things caught me off guard, but I was able to handle it. I just didn't know in the moment I was handling it, if that makes sense as a question. Um, yeah, uh, I, I never really thought too much about like the opponents I was going to play like in college and like what that would be like. Uh, I was just more focused on like how I can like affect the team and, and help out the team and, and effectively start. And mm-hmm. you're, you're mostly looking inwards towards your team the entire year. Like you're practicing against the same people. And uh, I think what 
like the best thing that I took away was definitely the camaraderie and the friendship, uh, like all the friends that I made throughout Hobart, like they're all near and dear to me and, and all great dudes. But uh, I think the, the, the best thing that I took out of, out of Hobart uh, personally was, was just the, the cadence and the repetition and how to build skill um, is, is something that I'll always use throughout life. Um, like, our schedules were always so mundane because they're already pre-planned and uh, like, de- like they're down to a science and yeah. it was by, it was by design and that's how you get better, or at least it, it worked for me. Um, and I, I've definitely take that, taken that t- type of mentality, like professionally where you just need to have like, certain things in your day-to-day be repetitive, even though they're mundane and a little bit boring, but it, it's a way to get better uh, and, and discover personal growth. So that was a huge thing that I took away from uh, college that I definitely didn't think about uh, beforehand. No, absolutely. I, yeah. I completely agree with you, especially with the schedule that we had where it's like 5 a.m. practice and it's like if you don't have an 8 a.m. class, you're going and doing something else and then mm-hmm. you have film later and, and shit like that. Now, um, you know, looking back on college and like your overall experience at Hobart outside of lacrosse, did you feel as though that Hobart prepped you for the real world? Because between the two colleges I went to and no knock against Mercyhurst, I thought that Hobart did a phenomenal job prepping for the real world the best they could in terms of like the networking events they made you go to, the Napier seminars, um, the different alumni events that they would have in different cities in like the summer and in the winter. Mm-hmm. And then having, um, I forget the lady's name. Is it Brandy from the Career Service yep. Center? Yeah. Having right, Brandy yeah. look over your resume and be like, okay, well, what do you think you want to do? What do you want to do? Okay. This is how you should make a cover letter geared towards this type of employer. And then this type of employer and trying to make you as well-rounded as, um, a potential employee student or and just someone going into the real world as they could. Whereas at home at not Hobart at um, Mercyhurst, it wasn't necessarily like that. Like the networking center wasn't as involved and it wasn't as involved as it was at Hobart in the sense where like Raymond Poyon Hirsch were just like, Hey, you guys got to go to this tonight. So we got to let you out of practice a little bit earlier and we'll do yeah. this. Or you were getting the constant emails being like, Hey, Someone from, I don't use an example, someone from like NBC is coming to campus to speak. If you're a media major, mm-hmm. meet with them or Bazudo, like the real estate company. Um, mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that? Like, how did you feel Hobart prepped you for the real world? Well, Hobart, I, they did a great job of giving you opportunities for those networking uh, scenarios, um, whether mm-hmm. it be like someone's coming to talk to you on campus or it's like a trip to, to New York City, which I, I went yes. on one of those. I went to a media trip with Hobart on New York City. I forgot City about that, those. Yeah, and I, I that opened up my eyes towards like production and marketing and, and the creative business. Um, but it's it really like, it, like all of the resume work, all the cover letter work that, that Brandy and, and that uh, – like that career center does for people is great, but it's really what you put into it is what you get out of it. Um, I think that goes for anywhere that you are. Um, and and I, I would say, especially Hobart though, because they do give you a ton of opportunities to go out and meet people and, and, and talk to people who are established in their careers and, and very successful. And you get to, to glean like what they 
what they've learned throughout their career. So that that was the great benefit of Hobart is the opportunities that they would lay out for you. Um, but again, it's it's what you put into it is is what you get out of it. So it, it it's you have to at least get get your foot in the door and start talking to people before anything mm-hmm. can happen. And did you feel as though that they helped you with like networking? Cause I feel as though like um, just like when I reach out to people mm-hmm. or I do something like that, I have a couple of friends that are just like, um, would that, that will ask me sometimes like, Hey, how should I like, it seems like you're able to get indoors mm-hmm. with certain people. And I contribute that to how we were taught per se, or like what yeah. we were led on to with Hobart. Cause like you said, they would have people that were like in prestigious, I want to say prestigious jobs, but like had really good jobs. Um, or at really good companies and they themselves were like hey if you want to work at a place like this these are the things you need to do and like giving you the inside scoop on like the actual nitty-gritty details whereas at some schools like they'll just tell you like hey if you're gonna try to apply for a place like that these are the things you need to do but it's coming from a third party not someone that's actually on the inside yeah um i i think hobart definitely prepared uh me for like networking outside of college um I, I think it's it really comes down to just practice. Like Hobart gave us those opportunities to go into a room with multiple like professionals, and basically, basically you just walk up to them and you have to be ready to ask them questions. And I'm sure the first time I tried doing that was not pretty, um, but like the the next few times just got better and better, and you got more comfortable in those types of situations. And uh, I think that's that's a huge thing that helped me in my development, uh, like networking wise. Um, Mm -hmm. like I remember we went to the New York city, uh, like Hobart William Smith experience. Like we would go around and, and tour different places. Like we toured good morning America. Uh, we toured 60 minutes, uh, Bill Whitaker, Hobart alum, um, who, who was on 60 minutes. Um, where else did we go? We went to a few different, like, media companies um we went to a few different like smaller production agencies and just being able to hear what they had to say about their industry and like it kind of just opened up my eyes to a whole business like side of business that i was never aware of uh beforehand um like Mm -hmm. i only read about it um, in books and basically just just saw the end product like i would always see ads um but uh, that, that definitely sparked my interest to get into the creative side of business and, and then eventually marketing. Um, and I, I would say, uh, like coming out of college, like I had a, a basic idea of what I wanted to do, but, but really, uh, didn't really have a huge clue of, of what type of career I wanted to define myself. But my best advice to anyone listening, um, would just be to, to get out there because uh, you, you really don't know like what you want until you see it. Um, and, and that's been the case for me. Like I started off uh, in 2018, the summer of 2018, a year after I graduated in, in an internship at a creative agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working in a product in the production department, which was like awesome like it was, it was so much fun to learn from all these executive producers and then i eventually got hired as an associate producer and i started manning my own projects like three months after that and i got to see that side of the business which was like i worked with editors sound engineers and, and 
like got to go all these cool recording studios and like I went on like five or six like large scale productions which were really fun and like very intense like it was it was down to the minute like where you needed to be uh, like who needed to be where and it was just fun to see that side of the business and and learn from these executive producers who were like very long like long away in in their career and and they had a lot to teach and that helped me in like my professional development just learning how to be someone in the working world like Mm -hmm. how to how to write an email how to reach out to someone to ask them for something that is part of their job which was like a big like not a lot of people talk about it but like jumping from college to like a professional environment is very different um and and that helped me and it opened up my eyes and I'm, I'm no longer there or or in a production department but uh it it opened me up to a whole different network of of marketing individuals and and uh, i've definitely used that to my advantage with new york city being the media capital of the world damn near um mm-hmm. at least being the media giant and king place marketplace you could say mm-hmm. in the at least the united states that in la was is that what led to you going to new york city um i, I i've always wanted to to live in new york I, I i don't really know why uh i just it's just been in my head like after college i want to be in new york and, and work there um maybe because i i knew i didn't want to move to boston uh it was it felt a little bit too much like my backyard like every time i would go to a bar I either see someone from high school or see someone from yeah. middle school. Um, it felt too much like a small town for me. And I, I, I needed to get out of my comfort zone and and and, and make it for myself. Uh, like I, I, I did have a lot of friends here and I, I definitely have a great support system, but I, I wanted to come to a place uh, that would take me outside of my comfort zone. And, and that in turn would, would lead to growth, I believe. Was that, did you act in spite of fear? And and the only reason I ask you that is because, you know, knowing you the way I do, you're kind of are more like, I don't want to say homebody type of person, but you're not the type mm-hmm. of kid that's like going to roll in massive crowds. Like you keep a small mm-hmm. circle, you roll with that crew. Um, you said that Michigan was too big for you. You went to a boarding school that had, you know, it was a really intimate setting. You got to know your teachers on a personal mm-hmm. level. Same with Hobart, professors on a personal level. And then you mm-hmm. just pick up and go to the biggest, like <laughs> one of the big, like the, the biggest city you could possibly find. Like, yeah. was that, was that like, did you do that just solely out of growth or were you just like, I like what led you to going outside your comfort zone? Cause and the only reason I'm asking it specifically like that is because mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people would do a lot different things in life if they just did that and acted and being like, I I'm scared shitless or this is really uncomfortable for me, but fuck it. I don't care. I'm going to just go anyways. Um, I, I, I mean, that would, that would definitely be a part of it. Uh, I knew that if I were to go to Boston, it would be too easy to just be like, I, I guess I don't really know. Um, I, I don't think I acted in, in the sense like I wanted to go outside of my comfort zone, but I knew New York would be a new experience and somewhere mm-hmm. where it, it, it would like not make or break, but like it, it, it would allow me to feel that level of comfortability. Like I could, I could make it at a company in the largest media capital of the world or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I, it, it was like a bit of motivation, like, uh, 
like a small fish in a big pond, I think. Uh, I don't really know. I, I, I knew I wanted to move to New York City. And, um, and since then, I've just been finding my way. With New York City being as relentless as it is in all yeah. facets, what have uh, you learned about yourself since moving to New York City? Well, it's definitely been different in the past year. Um, mm-hmm. it, well, of course, with the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. It's like I'm, I'm living in, in Brooklyn, um, but it's like I'm not really working in New York. Uh, at least it's been like that for the past year. Um, and uh, I recently started a new job uh, like a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I got hired as uh a remote worker, but we do have a New York office and it hasn't opened yet. So I'm planning to go back into the, in the office, but, but since moving to New York, what have I, I've learned about myself is, is that I need it, it. It's that it goes back to the, like the repetition. Um, like I need to create that routine um, because there, there are a lot of distractions in New York um, and there were definitely times where I was distracted, uh, but in more recent years, like creating that routine for myself, uh, has been really beneficial, even just like starting my work day, uh, in, in like a certain order it needs to be, it, it just helps me be more productive and adding those days up, like doing that day after day is, is something that is, is very helpful, um, Cause I mean, I'm not saying that I, I, I keep a perfect routine, but it's, you, you need to add up those types of days where you are very produ- productive and you just need to, it's a saying my dad used to have for me is filling the hopper. Like you always need something uh, to look forward to and you just need to set that up for yourself. So whether it be your networking, like, and you're out of a job, like filling the hopper would be reaching out to multiple different sources. So like you wouldn't apply to one single job because you wouldn't be filling the hopper. You would be applying to multiple jobs and reaching out to multiple people. So it's, it's something along those lines of, of creating good habits that uh, will eventually pay off, but they won't really show too much in the short term. No, absolutely. And actually good thing you brought that up. Yeah. No, it makes complete sense. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, shout out Mr. Murphy in case he's listening. Hope all is well. Yeah. <laughs> I sound like I, he's going to probably listen to this and be like, is that Eddie Haskell? <laughs> no, I'm just oh kidding. But, um, no, I had to say that. But No, he probably no, so, is. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably like, Hi, what Dad. the hell is that kid? I'll, I'll tell uh, you back soon. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, you know, we talked about before we even recorded and stuff like that was yeah. the one day when we were in Bartlett, when we were in Bartlett, which was a dorm mm-hmm. on campus, um, you were doing an assignment and your dad was blowing up your phone with like financial articles and stuff like that and finance stuff. And you didn't say it in the sense of like, uh, why is this guy emailing me or texting me or anything? You were just like, oh, uh, my dad, it's just my daddy sending me stuff like this. Your dad has mm-hmm. always been, um, at least from what you've told me, always putting in your head, like, see what you're saying, filling the hopper. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of personal finance things, investing, stocks to look at, stuff like that. Obviously, as an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, that's not even a thought process. That's not really yeah. something you're thinking about or anything like that. Um, obviously, we've had conversations on it about how 
school doesn't necessarily teach you about finance mm-hmm. in the way that we would all like in terms of understanding taxes, understanding if I want to form an LLC, what does that mean? What does that look like tax-wise? Um, how to invest, compound interest, all these different types of things like, oh, if I'm going to invest in the stock market, where do I go? If I want to invest to have, you know, a fat retirement, how do I do it? How do I go about it? And just like the basic economics of all that, um, Mm -hmm. looking back, knowing what you know now, and then obviously being in a city like New York where it is very expensive and you can't, like most people live paycheck to paycheck. So to get Mm -hmm. ahead, you might have to do something differently if you're not making that salaried number that you hope for, um, yeah. you know, looking back and just overall, like what are one, some of the biggest things that you've had to readjust and learn yourself um, about personal finance. And then on top of that, mm-hmm. like, what are some things that you believe schools just on a universal level, like how they have make us take like a mandatory elective for graduation. What are some things that if they did that with personal finance and finance as a whole, do you think that should be taught within that class? Yeah, well, to your first point, my dad has always been a huge supporter, huge motivator, um, and to the to the point where it would definitely get annoying sometimes. Um, like sometimes I would just call my mom and dad just to to vent about like the lacrosse day and just like how shitty of a practice it was, um, and then it, the conversation would always turn into something like, "How are you getting better?" Like, and sometimes it would get tiring, but for the for the 99 percent of it i'm very grateful for like all the motivation that he sends and like all the all the stuff that he he's tried to teach me over the years and especially being an 18 year old like why the hell do i need to know any of this but since graduating um it's it's definitely been a huge learning curve like the first year and a half i was definitely living paycheck to paycheck just going out like on the weekends like going to those like grimy bars and like sitting in a grimy booth and having beers all night, which was like an absolute blast, but like it, it, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't great on the, the bank account balance. Um, but something I've learned over the years, even keeping up that trend of going to grimy bars, uh, is when you do get that paycheck, just put however much you can into a place that you can't touch it. That's something that I've learned. Um, like set up a direct deposit account and just start saving for God knows what, um, whatever life throws at you. And um, I think that's something that schools should be teaching uh, personal finance. Um, and that's something that I've, I've had to teach myself over these past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, even when I was making like a, a very, like, like I'm not saying I'm making a lot, but like I, I was making a lot less previous in previous jobs. Like even when I, I could put away like a few hundred, like a hundred dollars, like I would, if if whatever you can squeeze out of your paycheck and do a savings account is, is huge. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. And like, that's the other thing is too, is like when you would uh, talk about those like articles or some of the things he would send you, I actually learned a lot from that shit. Cause I myself would be like, I always thought that school was a, uh, was a scam in the sense Mm -hmm. of like the economics of it. Like you don't really have someone in high school as like a guidance counselor per se. You know, luckily my mom taught me a lot of these things when I was in high school, but it was more so just like a lot of people are paying, you know, 200, 300, 400, 500, even more in student loan debt. And it's Mm -hmm. like, if you pay that much into a compounded interest fund or something that compounds annually or stuff like that, it's like, 
you know, after 25, 30 years, you're going to be sitting on like pretty close to like a mil, two mil, just from that simple three, four, five hundred $500. And yeah. it's like, wait a second, for most kids that may not be able to afford school or don't have the, uh, the financial background and what I mean by that is like maybe they come from like the struggle or uh, you you know what I mean by what I'm saying here yeah. and it's like if they were put on to be like hey yo like you're gonna be racking up 20 30 40k a year in debt it's like do you like do you even know what you want to do like obviously like colleges yeah. don't make money per se and then colleges can just charge whatever the hell they want and if you to, you have to pay it to go there it's not like yeah. they're like oh okay well it's not like you can negotiate the price like tuition's 51k hey i got 30 okay yeah we'll take you anyway it's like it doesn't work like that yeah. um so like i was always like i was like asking people like what like do you, like what their thought is on that and like how obviously it's not going to change per se but like what mm. do you think conversations for kids in high school or even kids that are freshmen per se like should be put on to so they could start thinking about these things because even though you're not thinking about it when you're that young, there's going to come a point where you're going to either have to or be forced to. And then you're going to be like, fuck, I wish I would have learned this way back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're seeing it more and more nowadays, like kids who don't go to college and like who are making a living online. Like there, mm -hmm. there are thousands of ways that you can make money uh, just sitting at a computer. But I, I, I think that the key is to know what you want uh at the end of it like i was fortunate enough to have college paid um for me i don't Same. have any student loans no nope. very fortunate for that um, shout out to that that's huge that's so yeah. huge um but um knowing what you want out of college or say you already know what you want to pursue and you don't need a college degrees is huge so just basically getting outside and getting that experience that you need to have uh, kind of define your career is, is huge. So I think it comes back to networking is, is meeting people that you want to emulate in your own career uh, and, and figuring out how they got there and then pulling from that, what you want to um, like, you don't need to match anyone's career. Like you'll never do the exact same thing that like someone before you has. Um, no, never. But but every conversation that you have in a networking uh, like environment, it, you can pull at least uh, and use for your own self. And I, I, I would say that's like a successful uh, networking trip is, is if you can pull one thing out of that um, for you to act on. Um, and just getting outside of your own environment and learning what else is out there is huge. And then from there, you can kind of define like, how you want to act and how you want to build a career. And if that's college, then, then go for it. And I mean, that's, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, wrapping up here, I mean, we've been talking for almost an hour or so. So uh, a couple mm -hmm. more questions for you is yeah. the number one, the number one, cause I have a big one that's coming. I only have two. The number one mm -hmm. is if based on, you know, everything you've got to experience, uh, college of lacrosse, all the traveling you've done, you know, the great mm -hmm. internships you've done and, and, you know, the work living in New York city and just everything. If you could meet 18 year old Kevin today, what, what, what are some things that you would tell him? Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, what would I tell a young Kevin Murphy? 
Well, I, I'm, I'm sure young Kevin Murphy wouldn't listen, but uh, of course not. Neither would I. Yeah, I would actually yeah. put my 18 year old ass. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. "Come here, bitch." <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would love to, I would love to see a, a 25 or 26 year old versus 18 year old Kevin just to see who wins. But anyways, <laughs> I, 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 I would say to get outside of your own environment, because um, like you said it earlier, like I am definitely a homebody. I, I love mm-hmm. keeping myself in like a small pack and. That's not to say I, I don't have a lot of friends. Um, well, now it sounds like I don't have a lot of friends, but um, <laughs> I, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, humble brag. <laughs> but getting outside of my comfort zone it, it has been huge for my own development, and um, just going out and talking to people who I wouldn't normally go like talk to in my day to day is is something that's helped my uh, my professional and personal development. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I have for you, because I have a couple of buddies that listen to every episode. So mm-hmm. shout out to them. And shout out. What, them, what do we call that, those guys? Um, redheads? No, 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 no. I'm really the only <laughs> redhead. I'm really the only redhead. No, I'm just saying, like, who are your listeners? Um, are they like, how do you define your uh, listeners? Are they the redheads? Um, people that like <laughs> listening to podcasts. If you're trying to imply that they're fans, absolutely not. Like, I had yeah. a. Uh, I had someone the other day DM me saying that they love they love the show and all that, and it was like kind of weird mm. to me. I was like, I appreciate it, but uh, I don't I don't know how to respond to that other than just saying well, thank I, you. I mean, uh, you'll remember that that was your first fan. Well, and, me besides me when I was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've yeah. been I've been your biggest fan, so it works both ways. <laughs> but yeah. um, so no, so for people that are listening that are diehard Bills fans, please give mm. your Buffalo Ooh. Bills experience come into a All game right. as you are a Patriots fan. Yeah. I mean, I've had uh, a lot of different experiences in Buffalo. Um, <laughs> I, I went with you one time. Uh, I went with uh, a few friends another time. And each time I've noticed that the town, the city, the whole area around Buffalo goes, they, their emotions and their, like their happiness rides on the success of their team. And in previous years, it hasn't been a successful team. So it was a very depressing time when they would lose, but boy, do you guys know how to uh, tailgate? Like that was the most, that was the most fun tailgate I've ever been to. And I was the, I was the enemy there. Like I was wearing a Patriots shirt and beer cans were being thrown in my general direction. Like (laughs) I saw, I saw a girl, it, it was like, late November, I think, uh, it was cold out. That's all I remember. But I saw a girl take her Uggs off and throw them in the fire. Cause like at the time, Tom Brady, he was sponsored by Ugg and she literally threw them in the campfire. And those were burning right next to uh, a Rob Gronkowski cardboard cutout. Like it, it very seriously when it comes to the tailgate <laughs> and then, and then getting in the Ralph Wilson stadium like that, like it's it's a very like comparably it's a very small stadium to a lot of like nfl stadiums but it's the most rowdy that's for sure um it's when i when i brought when i brought shane to shane came to visit and we went Mm -hmm. to the monday night game when we played the patriots and they were retiring bruce smith's jersey and there's like tank tanks outside the national guards outside and shane's like yo what the (laughs) fuck is happening i'm like dude this is normal i actually until you pointed it out i didn't even think about Mm. it just because of how rowdy it gets and 
And when I saw you, when I saw you at the AFC Championship game, because I went with Mark to mm-hmm. uh, the Jags at Gillette. Game. Yeah. yeah. First of all, Gillette is a hell of a time. I don't care if I'm beautiful, like, and I'm not a. I don't care that I can't stand the Patriots and all that shit. But Gillette mm-hmm. is a hell of a time. And I was when I saw you and your brother and stuff. I was like, dude, if this was the like the Bills in the AFC Championship, there'd be bodies all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Oh <laughs> my gosh. I mean. Gillette tailgates, it, I feel like they're, they're just different because they're so much more spread out throughout, like, different lots and, like, different areas that you can be, whereas, like, Buffalo, there's, like, that one gravel lot where that's the place to be if you want to get real rowdy. Um, well, you guys also have uh, Patriot Place where there's, like, legit restaurants oh, and yeah. stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Patriot Place is a huge bonus. That's, like, the, the walkway with a ton of restaurants and shit. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never actually gone into Patriot Place, but uh, – I, I have nothing but love for my my Buffalo friends. Um, lots of good times oh. up there. Jack, I mean, Jackson Brown, he took me to one game, and he the entire time was trying to get people to fight me. It's like, you're going <laughs> to let this kid – and he's one of my, like, oldest friends from college. Like, he, he was like, you're going to let this just walk around with a Patriots jersey? And I was like, come on, Jackson. Like, I'm staying with you tonight. Like, like I don't want to get fucking beat up out here. But – uh it's it's a lot of pride out there, and I it's, I respect that. Of course, of go, course. Go well, Bills, go Bills. Oh, oh, hey, that's how that's how it ends. That's how we got to end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with you saying go Bills. Yeah, I'm right, fine well, with that. I'm fine with that. Uh, all right, well, my yeah. guy, I appreciate you doing this, taking the time out to do it. I know uh, you're pretty busy with everything you got going on, so thank you. And uh, we'll definitely, I'm definitely gonna have you on again once I get uh once I can get like multiple mics because I definitely want to do an episode with like you, Shane. Frank, Darden, a bunch of the boys. Shane and I actually go the furthest back out of any of the Hobart guys that I know. We we played really club locks coming up together. Um, like we knew each other all throughout high school. But yeah, if any if if there's a Hobart podcast hopping on, I I would love to be a part of it. Just just to be a fly on the wall and jab sometimes, and especially if Jackson and Theo Ashmore are on. No, yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be. I was talking to Frank (laughs) about it. I want to get it so that it's. Um, you, Darden, Donnelly, Shane. Um, if we can get Grant on, we'll get Grant on, and then um, uh, I'm blanking real quick. Ashmore Jackson, get Tanner, <laughs> dude. Just yeah. just having Tanner on, and then Frank as well. But just having Tanner on alone, I wouldn't even say a word. I would just let you guys talk because I'd be laughing so hard. Yeah, they're funny dudes. I would love to yeah. be a part of that. And uh, I'll definitely so, – I'll start uh, reaching into my network, seeing if, if if there are any guests you would be interested in. I'll, I'll start sending you some stuff over. Yeah, I mean, anyone that wants to be on, uh, just hit yeah. me up, and I'm just like, fuck it. It's just a conversation. There's really no – there's really no, yeah. nothing going on besides that. So. I mean, I love talking about myself, so anytime. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that – that's why that yeah. is so goddamn big. <laughs> yep, yep. That's, that's the reason. All right. All right, bro. Well, I'll catch you. I'll see you. Peace.